If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you have been coming, you probably realized I'm not Pastor Nate. He's much taller than me. We were both born the same year. We both love Jesus, and we both have really high cheekbones. <laughs> and he is out of town today, but we are really excited. We're in a series called Connect the Dots. And man, with every series, I'm like, this is my most favorite series ever. Can anybody else relate to that? We had EXO this weekend. Make some noise if you were at the EXO marriage conference. Come on. We had 160 people investing in their relationships at EXO. And this week, we were picking out the sessions. We wanted to make sure we had just all the best ones to really help people. And as we were watching the sessions, I kept being like, this is really good, yes, but it's just not as good as Pastor Nate. And these are like world-class speakers. You know, they're the experts. But I'm like, yeah, Pastor Nate's messages are just a little bit better. They just really speak to your heart. I love how God uses him to speak to us, church. Come on. I love the gift that he is to this body. So as I said before, we're in a series called Connect the Dots. And week one, we talked about empathy, getting in the feet of another person and understanding where they're at. And a lot of us learned that we're narcissists. Anybody else can relate? I'm a narcissist. And if it's your first time here, you might be thinking, uh-oh, what did I get into? But we are interested in growth here. And when you can admit something, when you see something in yourself and admit it, then you can grow from it. Week two, last week, we talked about unity. We talked about Adam in the garden with God. And God was like, it's not good for it to be just you and me, Adam. Come on, you need relationships with other humans. So God created Eve. That's really good. If you didn't listen to it, go back and check it out online this week. And today we are talking about trust. Tell the person next to you, trust. Now tell the person on the other side who you don't trust, trust. It's okay because we're learning how to trust today. From the time we're born, God designed us to connect with people. You were connected to your mom in the womb. We heard that last week. That's why you have a belly button. When I was in high school, everybody was having a contest at lunch. How many grapes can you fit in your belly button? And there was this one guy, he could put 18 grapes in there. That's crazy. That's not what your belly button is for, okay? It was because you were connected to your mom in the womb. So you entered the world and you trusted her and your dad to meet your needs. When you cried, he would soothe you. When you were hungry, she fed you. When you were afraid, he held you. When you were happy, they laughed with you. Trust is built over and over by repeated action. You learned, I can trust these people. And as you got older, you made friends. You probably went to school and you would meet your friends on the playground and share all your deepest childhood secrets with them. And they were there for you. And then you became a teenager. And maybe you had your first boyfriend or girlfriend and you trusted them. Maybe you got your first job and you learned what it was like to trust coworkers, to trust the person next to you to do their job. But maybe your parents didn't meet your needs. Maybe your parents weren't safe people. Maybe they did their best, but they had broken places. So little you picked up invisible bricks and started to build walls around yourself. You'd pick up a brick and put it down in front of you because you were like, I don't know if I can trust these people. 
Or maybe you trusted your friends to be there for you, but one of them moved away. And so you picked up another brick, and you put it on top of the one that was already there. Maybe you had your first breakup. Maybe somebody didn't come through for you when they promised to. Maybe somebody broke your heart. So you pick up a brick, and you add it to your wall. And over time, you've built a wall to protect yourself. And sometimes those walls are necessary. You shouldn't trust every person that you meet at the same level. But if you constantly have your walls up, then nobody can get in. No one can actually be your friend. You can't connect emotionally with your spouse. You can't trust your coworkers. You'll lean towards controlling every situation because you're believing a lie that you can only trust yourself. And you'll apply patterns that came from untrustworthy people to safe people who don't want to hurt you. Maybe you experienced trauma that violated your trust. 60% of adults have experienced some sort of trauma. And in that moment, maybe there was nobody there to help you process it. So you didn't just pick up one brick, you grabbed a whole pallet and you started building walls around yourself and saying, no one is gonna get in, nobody is gonna hurt me. And you thought that that wall would keep unsafe people out, and it did, but it also keeps out the safe ones. That emotional wall that came from a legitimate place that helped you through your trauma, it's blocking you from connection. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't really relate to any of those things. I wasn't hurt by anyone. I just feel like it's less messy to, trust, to not trust in people. It's less messy to build walls and just keep people out. That's limiting your life. Proverbs says, where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, but increase comes by the strength of an ox. So where you're not relating to people, you know, it's easy, there's no mess, it's clean, but there's no strength or increase either. We want to choose to trust today. We all need comfort and support from other people to thrive. It's how God created us. And Jesus trusted people. If Jesus trusted people and he was perfect, then we can trust people too. We need people too. There are two components when it comes to trust, and we're going to look at them in John 10. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he says two things. I am the good shepherd. This is who I am. And I give my life for my sheep. This is what I do. Trust is based on two things. Who I am. What I do. Character, who I am. Competence what I do. Intent, who I am, impact what I do. So then Jesus goes on to say in that same thing, I'm the son of God. This is, here I, this is who I am. And the Pharisees get mad. So then he says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me what I do. You can trust me because I do what I say I'm going to do. Everything Jesus said he was going to do, he did. He came through on. Everything that Jesus said about who he was, that's really who he was. That's really who he is. Because of that, he can be trusted. We trust other people, and we can be trusted based on their character and their competence. So let's look at what that looks like in real life. So for marriage, for instance, um, Jay, my husband, and I have been married for 15 years. We, yeah, 
Thanks. We dated for six years before that. We've dated since high school. Um, so we've been together, you know, longer than we've not been together. We've known each other longer than we've not known each other. And I trust his character so much. Like, he's a great man of integrity. I love who he is to our kids. I love who he is in so many areas of life. And that doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes. We all do. But I trust his character implicitly. And then his competence. Man, there's so many things he's good at. I love the way he parents our children. I love the way he, um, he leads at his workplace. I love so many of the things that he does, who he is and what he does. And at the same time, there are places where I don't trust him. Let me explain. <laughs> so if I needed brain surgery, I'm not going to trust him to do brain surgery on me. Like if he's like, hey, brain surgery would be a good idea, I'm going to be like, okay, brick, 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 no thank you. <laughs> I trust his character and his competence in so many areas, but there are some places he doesn't have skills. So incompetent. For me, he doesn't trust me to cut his hair, and he shouldn't. If I cut his hair, he would look really bad. If I come at him with scissors, he should put up a block. Brick, 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 no thank you. This week we were talking about, man, what kind of competence stories could we bring in this message? And actually this morning, we got a great um, story for you. So we got in the car to come to church, and I look over at the gas gauge, and it says 48 miles to E. Now, we live in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, so it's, a little, it's an hour from here. And I just look at him and I say, is 48 miles enough to get to church? Just asking innocently. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely enough. We're fine. I'm like, all right, perfect. So we get to the New York border, and we have zero miles to E. But he's like, it's fine. There's a gas station right off this exit. How convenient. So we get off the exit. It's 6.30 in the morning. The gas station was not open yet. So we get on Google Maps, and we're like, okay, closest town. They have four gas stations. Great. We'll be fine. So we limped to the closest town, closed, 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 closed. <laughs> and by then he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I just smiled and kept doing my makeup. <laughs> but we made it all the way to the Addison exit where we were able to get gas. So in the end, he was right. I just think, why push it? Okay, who out there is somebody who's like, oh, zero? I have way more gas in there. It's totally fine. Yes, yes. You are my husband's people. He's only run out of gas twice in his life. I've never run out. But I chose to trust him. And maybe next time I'll be like, I don't think 48 miles is enough. Maybe we could get some gas. But that's a funny story, but it just illustrates trust changes over time, because of different situations, and it changes with different people too. We're better at being married now than we were on day one of marriage, like on the honeymoon where we're like, hi, you're cute, I love you, how do we do this thing? Yay, we're married, woo! And at each new stage, we grow in our competence. When we brought our babies home from the hospital, you know, the nurses just help you strap them in the car and they're like, see ya! We're like, okay. Neither of us had changed a diaper ever, we didn't have babies in our lives. So we're like, 
you know, which side is front and back, and all right, we'll get this. But we grew in competence. And in each stage of our relationship, we will grow, and in each season. And the same thing is true at work. As we are able to be trusted with more things, as we follow through on our commitments, you know, as we show our character, then we're trusted with promotion. At school, you level up to the next grade when you're competent at the current grade. It wouldn't be fair to trust, you know, a first grader with eighth grade work. Jesus trusted different groups of people based on their character and their competence. So first he had the crowds. These are the people that were for him. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, he's so amazing. And then later they were like, crucify him. So he had low trust with these people. For us, that would be like our social media followers. You know, the people who like some of your posts, they love some of your stuff, and some of your stuff, they're like, no thanks. They're the crowds. And then Jesus had the 12 disciples. These are the guys that were with him. He did life with them every day. They were the ones hanging out with him, learning from him, um, going around with him, living life together. Uh, for you, that might be your family, your coworkers, or your friends. Who are your 12 people? And then he had three friends, Peter, James, and John. These guys were his BFFs. They were his ride or dies. They were faithful, loyal, trustworthy. Man, they were with him for all of life's milestones. There was this one time when he raised a girl from the dead. Those three were with him, and they're like, yeah, this is awesome, Jesus. Way to go, cheering him on. There's another time when the Bible says he was transfigured. That means he was like beaming with light. And Moses and Elijah appeared and they were with him. And God spoke out of a cloud and was like, this is my son who brings me great joy. And it was like a really big, defining, awesome life moment. And his friends were like, yeah, Jesus, let's build monuments to this moment. It's so cool. We want to remember it. He's like, calm down, guys. We're not going to do that. But they were with him through his good moments, and they supported him in his hard moments too. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was sweating blood there. You know, he's about to be crucified. He's about to go take on the sins of all of mankind. And they were with him in those moments. They're with him when he got arrested. And Peter's like, I'll, I'll protect you, Jesus. And he cuts off a guy's ear. Jesus is like, that is not who we are. Put it back, put it back, okay. They were with him in the hard times. And if Jesus had those relationships, and he was perfect, and he came to serve people and not be served, then we need them too. And I want to ask you today, who do you allow in your life? Who do you choose to let down your walls with? Do you have any relationships where you trust someone to be there for you no matter what? Do you trust someone to love you, even when maybe you're not so lovable? And who are you there for? Who trusts you to be there for them, even if they make a mistake? Only one of Jesus' friends, John, was with him at the cross. So at his three closest friends, only one ended up at the cross. James wasn't there. The Bible doesn't even say where he was. And Peter, he denied that he knew Jesus. So Jesus is like in his hardest life moment, and Peter's like, I don't know the man. But Jesus had realistic expectations of what they were capable of, too. And I think John exceeded his expectations. In Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight, all of you will desert me. Ouch. Peter declared, Even if everyone else deserts you, I would never desert you. 
And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. And they all actually did desert him. He was right. But John came back. John came back to be with him when he needed support the most. John was with him at the cross next to Jesus' mom. And you know, your mom's always going to support you. So if John's there with her, then he's a pretty good friend. Trustworthy people make mistakes, but there is no mistake that you can't come back from with Jesus. There's no mistake you can't come back from with Jesus. John came back. He deserted him, but he came back. Peter, he didn't. He denied Jesus, and Matthew 26, 75 says, he remembered the prophetic words of Jesus when he said, before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly in repentance. Man, Peter denied Jesus and he wept in repentance. That means he changed his mind about what he had done. He's like, I just made a huge mistake. Not just one time, but three times. Peter's character failed. He lied. He lied about knowing Jesus. And he felt so bad about it that he went back to fishing. But I love Jesus because he pursued him. John 21, 17, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Is this who you are? Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him three times, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Is this who you are? Then here's what I want you to, 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 to do. Feed my sheep. Sometimes the people around you need your help to be trustworthy again. And instead of building a wall, in that moment, they need you to build a bridge. They need you to pick up that brick and put it in front and walk towards them and pick up another brick and take a step towards them and extend trust. When expectations aren't met, a trustworthy person doesn't retaliate. Instead, they become a redemptive force and they ask, how can I help you? Maybe you need to ask someone in your life today, how can I help you? Jesus restored the relationship with Peter and he reset the expectations that he had for him. If you love me, feed my sheep. And because Jesus did that, Peter preached and he saw thousands of people's lives changed. He wrote books of the Bible. He led the early church. He did so much more after Jesus restored him than he had done beforehand. The rebuilt trust was stronger than the original trust. Not because the hurt wasn't real. Peter really lied. But because of the healing power of Jesus. Come on. Did you notice Peter didn't even apologize? He wasn't like, I'm sorry, Jesus, please forgive me. He felt so bad, he couldn't even face Jesus. Trustworthy people extend grace to others, not because other people deserve it or have earned it. They extend grace because they possess it to give. Now, if Peter didn't care about denying Jesus, that would have been a different story. Even if he had said sorry, but really, he was like, I don't really care. Because sorry doesn't equal trust. Sorry equals an opportunity for forgiveness. Changed character and competence equals trust. It equals a brick in the bridge towards other people. 
Jesus didn't trust people blindly. He warned his disciples in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, be wise, and be innocent as doves. Innocent. He says, not all people are sheep. Some people are wolves. And when you deal with those people, be wise. Use good judgment. Make sound decisions. And be innocent. Be pure in your motives. Don't hurt people. There are some people who you should not trust. That is not most people. Some of us walk around afraid of trusting anyone because less than 1% of the 7 billion humans on the planet are wolves. I remember when I went to college, my parents got me a gift. They're like, you've got some night classes, so here's some mace. And they said, don't forget, carry your keys between your fingers in case you run into any rapists so you can stab them in the eyeballs. <laughs> Mom and Dad, I'm not going to stab anybody in the eyeballs, okay? That's disgusting. Ew. What were my parents teaching me? Because of one potential bad guy out of thousands at the college, they're saying, don't trust men. But if that's so limiting, my husband is a man, I trust him. My pastor is a man, I trust him. Some of my closest friends are men. Come on. We don't want to be afraid of everybody because of a few people. Society says expect and prepare for the worst. But people of hope joyfully anticipate good things. Come on. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Trouble will happen, but it's not everything in the world. And maybe you encountered that one bad guy. And if that happened to you, I am so sorry. Whatever that person took from you, however they hurt you, don't let them keep hurting you because you've built walls against everyone to protect yourself from the one. If you went through trauma, you need to deal with that through a counselor. You need to deal with that with a trusted friend. You need to work through that. Don't let it keep stealing from you. Jesus didn't say, live afraid. He said, be innocent, which is not cynical, anticipating good things of people, and be wise. If you're in a relationship or a friendship with somebody who continues to break your trust, you might need to end the relationship. Don't give them that trust to abuse every time. That's unwise. Now, if you're married and your husband's just not filling up the gas tank, that's a different thing, okay? <laughs> Keep building trust there. But I'm talking about other relationships or, you know, if there's infidelity or abuse, then you need to look at that with somebody safe and say, is this something that needs to end? Most of us have the opposite problem, though. We're quick to cut off relationships. Oh, you hurt me? Brick. We're really good at building walls and not the best at building bridges. How do we build bridges? They're built on expectations. So you pick up a, book, a brick it's an expectation towards someone, and they reciprocate by being trustworthy in their character and in their competence, and you move towards each other. There are five characteristics of expectations, and they're not on your note sheets, but I think it'll be helpful to you to write these down. The first one is that expectations are a compliment. Expectations are a compliment. When you believe in someone, you expect something from them. The more you trust them, the more you expect. 
Expectations are a compliment. You know, last week at the Super Bowl, it's a compliment when the coach puts you in the game. That means they believe in you. They trust you in those clutch moments to make the winning, the winning play. It's a compliment. I love how Jesus expects things of us. He says, go and make disciples. Like, I died for the whole world, but I'm trusting you to now go and tell them about it. He believes in us so much that he trusts us with his plan to rescue everyone. I love that. That's such a compliment. Thank you, Jesus. The second thing about expectations is that unrealistic expectations are crushing. It's good to have expectations, but unrealistic expectations are crushing. I don't expect the same things from my four-year-old as I do from my seven-year-old. It wouldn't be fair. They're at different stages in life. And if I expected my four-year-old to clean his room like his seven-year-old sister does, he can't live up to that expectation. That doesn't mean I don't expect things of him. And that doesn't mean I don't help him learn how to do it. We don't want to look for people to be what only God can be. That's another way we look at people with unrealistic expectations. Maybe you look at people to be your salvation, or you look at people for your identity, for approval. That's unrealistic. Don't expect don't put unrealistic expectations on the people around you. There's a difference between trusting people and entrusting yourself to them. In John 2:24, Jesus would not entrust himself to people, for he knew all people. So Jesus had the crowds following him, he had the 12 disciples, he had his three best friends who he trusted, but he did not entrust his heart to them. He did not entrust them to be who only God could be. He didn't expect us to be perfect. He was perfect so that we don't have to be. And maybe you, hear, you come here today and you're expecting this church to be filled with perfect people. I'm sorry, that's not us. But you can choose to lay down a block in front of you and extend trust towards this group of people, this group of incredible people of hope. You can choose to connect through an impact team and say, I'm going to bring what I have and who I am to this group you could choose to join a hope group this week and be vulnerable with other people to add your part to everyone else who's here. The third thing about expectations is that they're communicated. Expectations are communicated. God gives us expectations in the Bible. All the keys for a thriving life, he writes them out so we don't have to guess anything. He says, when you seek me, you'll find me. Come on. Expectations that are not communicated aren't helpful. How many of you are good at reading your spouse's mind? Not me. But communication is so helpful. One of the first things that we do at premarital counseling is talk about expectations. I remember when Jay and I were doing our premarital counseling, you know, we were talking about all the things that could come up. And we found out that his family is uh, the type who gets a shower and they use a towel and then they just throw it in the laundry basket. And then you get another towel the next day and the next day. And in my family, we actually use a towel after a shower and we're all clean. We hang it back up because we were all clean. We use soap, we're clean. He's like, ew, unclean. I'm like, clean. And so I said, okay, if, if you want to do the laundry and get new towels out every day, we could do that. He said, no, I think your way's better, but let's do that. <laughs> That's a silly example, but... When we grew up, our families processed conflict differently. His family 
They didn't really talk about feelings. They definitely didn't talk about problems. My family, we talk about everything and sometimes very passionately. And I remember when we were dating in high school, my dad and I were having a conversation and I just thought it was normal. And Jay's like, are you guys okay? That was really intense. Like, we were just talking. Different expectations. Uh, maybe in your house, you know, maybe you and your spouse need to talk about the chores, you know? Who's going to do the dishes today? What do we want just this whole environment of our house to be like? Set expectations. Maybe when it comes to sex, maybe your wife is thinking sex once a week is good, and your husband is thinking every other day or every day would be great. You need to talk about those things with your spouse if you haven't. And then help them learn how to meet your expectations and choose how to meet theirs too. The fourth thing is help people come up to your expectations. Help people come up to your expectations. Don't just throw out expectations and say, good luck. Help them. Remember Jesus with Peter? Peter went back to fishing, but Jesus went after him, and he helped him to become who he was created to be. Maybe you're here today, and you're looking to have a relationship with your parents, and you want them to be emotionally connected to you, but honestly, they're not capable of doing that yet. Nobody did that for them. And you can choose to shut them out. You can choose to pick up a brick and build a wall. Or you can choose to build a bridge and start a conversation about connection. The fifth thing about expectations is that they challenge us to grow. Expectations challenge us to grow. Healthy expectations are just a little bit beyond what we can do. It's insulting to expect my kids to always act like children. As they grow, I expect more things of them. It's insulting to have no expectations of people. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And in this verse, trust means love always looks for the best in each person. It looks for the best. It doesn't limit people to what you see in front of you. It looks for the good in them. It looks for their potential. It looks for reasons to build bridges, not walls. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he could be, and he will become what he should be. I love that. Do you treat people in your life according to what you see or according to who they could become? One of the beliefs of our staff team is that trust is given, mistrust is earned. Trust is given, mistrust is earned. And what does that mean? It means we assume the best about every person until they give us a reason not to. We believe that nobody intentionally tries to hurt people. Nobody intentionally tries to ruin things. Trust is best given, and mistrust is earned. But doesn't that set us up to be disappointed? Well, I would rather believe the best about people and be disappointed sometimes than believe the worst about people all the time and always walk around cynical and never trust anyone. When I am disappointed, I can take my disappointment to God, who never disappoints me. Now, sometimes I might have expectations on him that I need to adjust, but I'm the problem, not him. He never disappoints me. He never doesn't come through on his word. He's never not who he says he is. I take my disappointments to him because I trust in him. 
Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I love this verse so much. The word trust here in Hebrew is batach. Say that to the person next to you. Batach. I don't know how to speak Hebrew. I just looked it up on Google for the pronunciation. So good luck if it's not right. (laughs) That word is made up of three symbols. So in Hebrew, each um, letter is like a symbol. It's like a picture. So the first symbol in the word trust is bet. And it means resting in a family, safe and secure. So the first part of trusting God means you are rested in his family. You're safe. You're secure. When you trust God, the second letter is tet. Tet. It means wrapped like a swaddled newborn baby embraced by its mother. You're wrapped in God's goodness when you trust in him. You're protected. You're safe. The third letter is chet. This one's really interesting. It's a picture of a fence. A fence that surrounds you and protects you with healthy boundaries. So when you trust in God, you don't need to build walls because you're already safe. You can rest in his family. You're wrapped in his goodness like a baby in a swaddle and you're protected by his love. You don't have to worry about your needs because he's also thinking about your needs. He cares about you more than you care about yourself. So you can be careless. You can be confident. You can be secure and hopeful, fearing nothing. Come on. The joys of trusting God are all over the Bible. And I just want to show you a few examples as we close today. Psalm 32.10 says, The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. So besides everything that we just talked about when you trust in God, his love also surrounds you. Psalm 5, 11 through 12. But let all those who rejoice put your, their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you surround him as with a shield. When you trust in God, his favor surrounds you. His favor is surrounding you. His unfailing love is surrounding you. Come on. The last one is Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is perfect. He's a shield to all who trust in him. He is a shield protecting you. So we're resting securely in God's family when we trust him. We're wrapped like a newborn baby in his goodness. We're protected by his healthy boundaries. He surrounds us with unfailing love, favor that we don't deserve, and he protects us with a shield, all because we simply trust in him. There are so many layers of his goodness that surround you. Then you don't have to build walls. You can love generously. You can have realistic expectations, and you can trust people. And with God, you can get your expectations up. There are no unrealistic expectations with him. Ephesians 3.20 says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does that not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Come on. He can do far more than you could imagine or guess or think. He's limitless. 
you can expect from him. You can get your expectations up. You can expect him to be who he says he is. You can trust his character. And you can expect him to do what he says he will do. You can trust his competence. And he does it by working within you. But first, you choose to let him into your life. You choose to trust him. When you trust him, he helps you to connect with other people.